at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Happy St. Patrick's Day, the day where everybody is a little bit Irish. The word of the day for the program is hubris. Hubris means excessive pride or self-confidence. Now, you might say, okay, what's the difference between, like, arrogance and hubris? Hubris. Well, arrogance is overconfidence with an emphasis on being rude. Hubris is an extreme version of arrogance. So hubris is the ultimate, like, self-confident and just don't believing you can be questioned at all. It comes from, like, Greek tragedy where excessive pride or belief in yourself in defiance of the gods often leads to bad things. Why do I bring this up, and why is the word hubris um, so important today? Because the more and more you see what is going on in Ukraine, the more and more I believe that you understand how Vladimir Putin has made a huge mistake, and it is all attributed to hubris. Let us be honest here. To the surprise of a lot of people, the war in Ukraine is not going well for the Russians. Now, look, I think what initially happened is, as I've said before, Vladimir Putin and a lot of people in the West thought that the Russian military was this incredible force that would able be able to steamroller into Ukraine and take it over in a matter of days. That that has not happened. You know, now we're moving now into what four weeks into the invasion, the Russian army is bogged down. They are taking huge losses. Thousands and thousands of Russian troops have been killed in this assault. Um, the you know you talk about some of these places that it's like the graveyard of tanks they did not anticipate that the ukrainians would fight back to the extent that they did they didn't anticipate that the ukrainians would be so successful i think a lot of people thought the russian military was better prepared and stronger than it in fact actually is and what you're looking at now is a situation where in some cases at least if you read a lot of the stories the Russian army is even being repelled now don't get me wrong what's going on there is a huge humanitarian loss and and now you're seeing the Russians use a lot of the tactics that the Nazis used back in World War II which is attacking civilian targets in an effort I guess to try to demoralize the population but what's actually happening in connection with this is just like in World War II, where Hitler started bombing Britain, for example, and bombing London night after night after night, thinking that the civilian population was going to finally you know, give in, and, and he was wrong. All it did was make them more resolved to, to fight on. Same thing is happening in Ukraine, and it appears that, again, the Ukrainians, I don't know if it's fair to say winning, but they're certainly not losing. And it really starts to raise this question now about what, what 
what is victory from the perspective of the Russians? I mean, is it possible that after long sieges, they may be able to occupy the big cities in Ukraine? Well, well, maybe. But do they think that they're going to subjugate the people? Well, if they do, that's not going to happen. So, you know, you're, you're going to be engaging in guerrilla warfare for years after year after year. Meanwhile, because the evil empire has done what they've done, you see Russia has now become a pariah on the international scene. You see the effects that are being taken out on the average Russian citizen who can't access credit cards and all the stuff from the West that they've enjoyed over the last 30 years, that's being taken away from them. And the stock market remains closed and they close and they can't get access to you know their, their money and things like that. And at some point in time, you, you wonder if even in the, the deepest fever dream of, Vlad, dream of Vladimir Putin, he recognizes that he's made a huge, huge mistake. And what does it come down to? At the end of the day, it comes down to hubris. And if you look at world history, so many leaders suffer from hubris. They just think, well, my, my goodness, um, we, we can't be stopped, etc. And it causes them to make significant blunders. Now, in, in today's day and age, I mean, I understand Russia has a nuclear arsenal, and you, you wonder what the extent of that hubris is. But every day that goes on, I think it looks worse and worse for the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which to me makes it even more likely that at some point in time you're going to have a decent resolution of this. What exactly that is, I, I, I don't know. But this is not turning out the way the Russian military and I think the way Vladimir Putin thought that this was going to turn out. And the stories now, they're, they're coming out about how morale is becoming more of an issue among Russian troops, many of whom are apparently like new draftees, new conscripts, who had no idea of what they were getting into, who are also on the front lines. They're kind of cringing with the stuff that's going on. Hey, we just hit a hospital. Hey, we, we just hit this building that's marked children and things like that and might have killed you know women and, and children and civilians and older people and stuff like that. I, I don't know exactly what the end game is, but every day that goes by and Ukraine is standing is another day that it's a huge blow to the Russian Empire and it continues to weaken Vladimir Putin and that that is an excellent thing all right here's where I want to start off today there was a, a poll that was done by uh, Quinnipiac and it came out about a week or so ago the the one of the things I think we can all agree on is that what is happening in Ukraine is a profile in courage. Ukrainians are staying and they are fighting. Ukrainians are, are not cowering, oh, gee, we've been bombed, we've been attacked. Here, let, let's surrender, let, let's make the Russians go away, let's welcome them as conquerors. They are not doing that. They are fighting and they are, are winning. It is an amazing situation of resolve. So against this backdrop... Um, earlier this month, Quinnipiac, and you know, I, I understand that people are, are, are skeptical about polls, but it's an interesting conversation piece. So they ask Americans, if the U.S. were attacked, would you stay and fight or would you leave the country? That was the question they asked. If America was attacked, would you stay and fight or would you leave the country? Now, again, this is a question that's asked in the abstract, so who knows? But here's the numbers. A majority, 55%, say they would stay and fight. 55%. 38%, according to the poll, said that they would leave the country. 
So that if America was attacked, a la, let's say, what's going on in Ukraine, 38%, almost 4 out of 10, say they would leave the country. And then it, it does actually break down, interestingly, along party lines. 68% of Republicans st- say they would stay and fight. 57% of independents say they would stay and fight. And 40% of Democrats say they would stay and fight. Now, again, it's, this is it's the hypothetical, and, you know, it's it's easy to say that you would run or you would leave. But I, I guess I'm just staggered by some of these numbers that 55% say they would stay and fight, 38% say they would flee. Okay, if, if you scale that up, that means that about 125 million U.S. citizens say that they would flee the country if the country were attacked. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you believe the, these numbers? Would that many people, would four out of ten Americans, in the face of an attack on our shores, would they really pick up and leave. And if they wouldn't pick up and leave, why would you say so to a pollster? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You think four out of ten Americans would be looking to get out of this country if the country were threatened with an attack like what's going on in Ukraine? I hope not, but I don't know. What do you think? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. All right, there's a poll out about a week or so ago that's getting a lot of attention. Ukrainian people are standing up. They are standing up to the Russian army, and it appears that they are, are winning, which isn't to say there has not been a huge cost. So the pollsters go out, and they ask Americans. They say, okay, if we were invaded by a foreign force, would you stay or go? And overall, almost four out of ten people answering this poll say that they would go. They would flee. They would pack up their SUVs and they would head to Canada or they would head to Mexico. And I guess one of the things that strikes me about this is the fact that you have a, a situation where what? It, why would you lie about this? I mean, admitting that you would turn tail and run is nothing to be proud of. Matter of fact, I think it's nothing short of disgraceful. So if four out of ten people are willing to say, hey, I would cowardly, I would turn, I would be a coward, I would run, I will not defend my country if attacked. Well, it, it tells me that, that those numbers are probably true because why, why would you say that? Why would you say I'm going to flee like a frightened bunny if if that were not the case? 855-616-1620. I guess I, I find this to be incredible. Incredibly, incredibly troubling that you have a huge chunk of of Americans who aren't willing to stay and fight for this country. Um, Jeff, I would not be picking up and moving anywhere. The likelihood of getting invaded is nearly impossible. All right, well, uh, Russia could never land enough troops or equipment at any of our ports. Invasion would have to come from Canada or Mexico. Don't see that happening. Well, I'm not saying that it's likely to happen. You you would hope it's not going to happen. But at the same time, the, the fact that even in the abstract, that you've got four out of ten people and more, depending on which party you align with, that are willing to run, it it's... 
I think it's nothing but shameful. Jeff, to those people, I would say don't let the doorknob hit you on the backside on the way out. Jeff, unfortunately, I do believe that there are a significant number of people who would leave. There are also many people who blame uh, the war, the president in Ukraine for the war in Ukraine, saying it's all his ego and he's getting millions of people killed. Not sure what universe that they would in fact live in jeff like the song goes i would gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today jeff it's sad but i do believe that 40 percent number representing those with the financial means and travel experience and no young children to just pick up and go somewhere else perhaps canada perhaps mexico etc I'm sorry, This to me this is the absolute no-brainer. I, I think if they ask me that question, and again, who knows who knows what life is going to look like, but even if you have the means, the idea of saying, okay, my, my country is being attacked, and my response is going to be to clean out my bank account and try to load up all my stuff in an SUV and flee to Canada and, and let whatever happens to this what I think continues to be the greatest country in the world, how disgraceful is is that? And that's exactly the word. Jeff, the people who say they wouldn't stay and fight have no appreciation or understanding for what we have in this country compared to others. And I guess part of the reason that's really struck me is I've been tell- telling you, I'm on this kick where I'm, I'm reading a series of books about World War II and really focusing on the, the German expansion, you know, when, when they took France and the Battle of Britain and things. I've got a couple, like, real-life fiction books and um, a, a couple just nonfiction books about it. And, and I'm just looking at the resolve of the people and how they, they fought this invasion and then to see that at least 40% of my fellow citizens say say that they would turn tail and flee if they were faced with an adversity. I mean, look at Great Britain. For the longest time, Britain stood, they they were almost alone in the world in, in fighting Nazi Germany. And our response is, well, gee, if somebody invades, we're we're packing up the SUV and we're trying to drive to Canada? Disgraceful. Jeff, the people who say they wouldn't stay and fight have no appreciation or understanding for what we have in this country compared to others. Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Howdy, how are you? What do you think? Uh, I can really believe I can really believe the numbers. If you go back and you look at total population, people that took only about seven percent of the total population of the United States ever put on a uniform. So yeah, yeah. I can believe those numbers very easily. Really? Huh. What does that's that say? I, yeah. I mean, what, what, what I does that say? say? Okay. Thanks for the call, Chuck. What, what, is, what does that say? Jeff, I really hope the poll was heavily directed towards the elderly and towards women. If you are a military-age male, your duty is to your country. Well, I, I don't even know about that. I mean, I, I understand a couple of people are breaking it down about gender. Well, we bet that that's women. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think I would at least hope that the vast majority of of women would say, okay, you know, we're we're not going to flee. We're going to stand and we're going to do whatever we can to support the the effort. And by the way, you know, maybe that means taking up arms. I you, hopefully this thing never happens. But I guess what really struck me is that you would think, you would think that just being asked this question in the abstract. 
95% of the people would say, this is my country. I'm not going to flee my country. I'm going to stand and fight for it. And, and then and then maybe if it ever happened, in reality, maybe a ton of people you know, are, would be doing everything they can to try to save their own skins and get out. So maybe that would be the case. But here people are already, it's four out of ten, saying, you betcha, we're heading out the door. You know, we, I, I guess if that is really the case, what a contrast between you know now and the the greatest generations where you had people that decided hey we're going to stand up and we're going to fight for our country you know everybody enlisting to fight in world war ii when japan attacked the united states um now hey they invade us we're not enlisting we're not signing up we're heading for mexico or wherever we're all going to figure out how to speak french or we're going to figure out how to speak spanish and hey if they want to take over this country that's fine don't expect us to make sacrifices if that is in fact true it is a very very scary commentary on the state of things in the united states today hope it's wrong but it is troubling back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Are you ready for your shining moment? Tune in all day next Tuesday, March 22nd, for what we're calling Selection Tuesday, sponsored by Palermo's Pizza. Throughout the day, each WTMJ show, including this one, will take four callers. You call, you get a team playing in the big tournament. If your team wins it all, free pizza for a year. Free pizza for a year. How cool is that? It's the Palermo's Pizza Bracket Challenge on WTMJ. One of the breaking news stories for today that would be very, very good news if it happens is the, you know, after the pandemic hit in 2020, you know, we were scheduled in Milwaukee to have the the Democratic National Convention. And regardless of, of what side of the aisle you're on, this would have been a big deal for the city because you would have had thousands and thousands of people coming and spending money and staying at the hotels and things like that well we know COVID hit and the dnc didn't well now for the 2024 convention milwaukee is now one of the two finalists along with nashville for the republican national convention and some really smart people are telling me that they think milwaukee is the leader in the clubhouse for a lot of reasons first of all because milwaukee kind of had a dry run in 2020 with getting all the things together and the republican national convention is not as big as the democratic national convention so the logistics are not quite as daunting but nevertheless it would be an incredibly big deal in addition Wisconsin continues to be the ultimate purple state. There's no question that Wisconsin is going to be in play in the 2024 presidential election. Could go either way. It's always one of those states that's decided by, you know, tens, a few thousand votes or maybe a few ten thousand votes. And um, if you're a political party, you want to have your convention in one of those type of states. So I, I think Milwaukee certainly has a 50-50 chance for this and it would be an incredibly big deal if we could secure the RNC which is one of the reasons it was so frustrating to me to see a couple of the members of the common council who were saying well you know they before they they go this route they they better get approval from us oh my goodness gracious just get out of the way sometimes and if this happens it would be a big deal and if there's anybody on the common council that decides they're going to throw up a roadblock they should immediately resign Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Outdoor Living Unlimited. Are you ready to transform your ho-hum backyard into a luxurious oasis? If so, good news. Your dream patio is within reach. Outdoor Living Unlimited has the experience, the skills, and the products to turn your vision into a reality. Get a free quotation today and contact Outdoor Living Unlimited at 262-567-4513 or visit them at OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. You know, there's the comedian who always says you can't fix stupid, and and that's absolutely true. So, you know, why, why bother trying? Well, I would add to that, that that not only can't you fix stupid, but you can't fix crazy. And at some point in time, you've got to try to stop trying to fix crazy, and you've got to recognize that there are kooks out there, and, and dealing with the kooks doesn't get you anywhere. I have been watching the, the media just play up this this effort by what I believe is a very, very small number of hardcore Republicans who have somehow latched on to this kooky idea that, yes, we're going to be able to decertify the 2020 election, and somehow you're going to have, I don't know, U.S. Marshals walk into the Oval Office, frog march Joe Biden out of office, and put Donald Trump in. Okay, that that is the thing that you put on your tinfoil hats, because that's the type of thing that, that cookie is made of. And if you think that is real, I'm sorry, you are a kook. Now, I understand one of the first categories of being a kook is that you don't think you are, but you, you are. And so there there is a, I think, I really think it is a small group that thrives on the media attention they're getting. And, of course, that the media that wants to portray conservatives as being kooks in general sees on this, like, lunatic fringe. And it, it's continuing to play out on a daily basis when Republicans should be talking about, oh, the economy and the state of crime in the state and things like that. So here's a portion of the story that, that appears in the journal Sentinel, and we, we've been talking about it on our News. Okay, Robin Voss is the Speaker of the Assembly. Uh, Robin Voss is, of course, one of the people who was instrumental in in pushing Act Ten through you know ten years ago. And Robin Voss has been one of the people who's been sort of a, a, a backbone, along with Scott Walker and a couple others, of the conservative res- revolution that happened in Wisconsin. You know, from like 2010 or 11 through 2020. So here's a portion of the way the Journal Sentinel writes this: The legislature's top Republican fought to manage the divisions within his party Wednesday in a close a day of closed door meetings that stretched from the hallways of the state capitol to a small hotel 100 miles north in central Wisconsin. And it talks about how he had this capitol hearing room, and then he went up to Plover to talk with party leaders, but was greeted with a rally largely convened to call for his ouster. Um... <laughs> I went through Act 10. I know what it's like to have some people not have all the information and not understand the ramifications of where we are. I'm fine with it, he said after his meeting. I find we feel very good about um, our position. But earlier Wednesday, Voss met with supporters of the impossible and illegal idea of decertifying the 2020 election. They viewed the event as productive, um, etc., etc. The rally featured Representative Tim Rantham, who is running for governor in the Republican primary, largely on a platform of decertifying the 2020 election. <laughs> I just, you can't do it. 
Um, okay, and so I, I'm looking at then the story like goes on and talks about how decertification for Packers brought American flags and signs that read "Fix 2021st." They held signs that read "Voss no Moss" and "Prosecute Voss" at the rally in Plover. I it, I, I read this stuff and it's almost mind blowing. I'm looking at some of these things: decertify or dethrone, shut down the Voss cartel, toss Voss. And, and I'm looking at this stuff and I'm thinking. You know, first of all, I, I do not believe that this is a widespread number of people. I, I believe that this is a relative handful of what I'm going to describe as the freak fringe of, of the right, just like the left has its freak fringe, but they, they don't walk around with signs and they don't end up on the front page of, of all the papers making people think that everybody in the Republican Party is just flat-out kooky. But at some point in time, I think my message to the grown-ups in state leadership in the Republican Party would be, just like I said a minute ago, just like you can't fix stupid, you can't fix crazy. And the, the notion that you're going to decertify the election, that's crazy. And, and people, I understand the crazy people don't like to be told that, but it's just flat out crazy. So instead of pandering to that, that little crazy segment that's out there, you need to just, I, I think, start focusing on the bigger picture, get back to on message, and, and let, let the kooks you know, show up and let them hold their signs and whatever. And I say this about people on the left, too, that do more than their share of kind of kooky stuff. But at some point in time, you've got to recognize that this just isn't working. Jeff, I'm a Democrat, but I do have respect for some Republican politicians, but this whole thing is crazy. It's over. Get over it. Move on. Find the next candidate to challenge for the presidency. Jeff, unfortunately, it's not the lunatic fringe. It's the majority of the Republican base. No, it's not. It's 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 not. I firmly believe it isn't. It is a handful of loud nutcases who, for whatever reasons, they, they want to make a lot of noise and they're searching for these conspiracy theories and things like that. I do not believe it is the majority of the base at all. I think it is a small, loud segment that gets amplified by the media. And this isn't an attack on the media, but you've, you've got a left-leaning media that loves to see these opportunities to portray Republicans as nuts. And this fringe gives them the opportunity to do that. Jeff, my state representative is Rantham, and he's done nothing else for the last year and a half except push many different conspiracy theories when we have so many real problems in the world. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's it. Jeff, you're missing the point. We need the enthusiasm and the constant pressure to get election laws changed in our state. Um, no, this, this doesn't this does not get election laws changed in the state because it portrays people who believe that that we do need a just look i don't think there was fraud i've argued this before in the 2020 election i i think you can argue that there were maybe not the best practices that election laws in many respects are unclear on various things and you can argue that maybe the best practices weren't followed but that's a far cry from suggesting okay that there was fraud at the end of this journal sentinel article they quote one of these guys who's um 
uh, who's running against Voss, okay, this is in, in the primary, he says, um, I, I want people to go on record seeing whether representatives are listening to the people. He said, lawmakers need to eliminate early and mail voting for most people making those options available only to the elderly and military voters. In other words, we're doing away with all absentee voting. All right, okay, note to the world, that's not happening. Okay, it is not happening. The vast majority of people, and I can believe probably even the vast majority of Republicans, don't think that we're going to ever get back to a point where you can only show up and vote in person. That's not, matter of fact, that hasn't been the, my first vote for president. My first vote for president was in Wisconsin. I was away at college a long time ago, and I applied for the absentee ballot. They sent it to me, you know, where I was at college. I filled it out. I sent it back in. So people have been voting absentee for a long, long, long time. That's not going to go away. By the way, that shouldn't go away. You know, we should continue to make it easy for people to vote. And in 2020, for people out there who think that we're going to roll this back and say that you can't vote by absentee ballot, it's not going to happen. And you've got to live in the real world. Doug on the east side. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Um, hi, I, I agree with your sentiments here. Uh, I, I really think this is shooting yourself in the foot. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got conservative values and you want to push uh, some some issues forward, this isn't helping that. This is distracting from it, and as as you call them, uh, kooky. Uh, but it, it just doesn't it doesn't present a good image, and it doesn't attract people uh, to the real issues that are pending that conservatives might want to advocate for. I think it's a mistake. I know. Th- thanks. No, you're 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 right. And by the way, I don't believe. I, again, I. I I, I think if you would say to a majority of Republican voters, you know, are, are you concerned? Do you think best practices were followed? Do you think that there's things that we need to do to, you know, change around the, the, the election process? O- okay, I think people would say, yeah, I, I can give you ideas. I, I have several ideas as well. But that's a far cry from saying, all, all right, we're going to decertify the election. We're going to declare that all those people who voted for Joe Biden and all those people, all those people who voted for Joe Biden, your votes don't count. I mean, really? Does anybody in what real world does that type of stuff happen? And what we should be doing is, again, focusing not on 2020, not on decertifying the elections, but focusing on moving forward, which, by the way, is one of my other frustrations, because legitimate, reasonable election reform, you can't get anybody to agree on it. Let let me give you the last example of that, Uh, something that I think most normal people should agree that this whole idea of counting ballots, when we've talked about this on multiple occasions, the way the law works now is when you get absentee ballots in, you can't start processing them till Election Day. The result of that is now because, what, 30, 40, 50 percent of the voters vote ahead of time? And that's not going to change you know, to some of the people who think it might. It's not going to change. So what happens is, especially in places like Dane County and Milwaukee County, you have this huge number of ballots that are sitting there that can't be processed to Election Day. So as a result of that, they really don't get around to it till after the polls close. So we get the ballot dumps where all of a sudden you go to bed thinking Scott Walker's the governor and you wake up and because Milwaukee just returned 100,000 votes and 80,000 of them were for Tony Evers, well then all of a sudden Evers 
Rivers is now the governor and people are screaming that there might be this must be something illegal about it. No, it, it's just a function of not allowing people process the ballots earlier there is no reason in god's green earth why when those ballots come in or two days before the election with appropriate supervision the clerks can't start opening them up and feeding them into the machines not tabulating them but feeding them into machines or whatever so they're ready to be tabulated when you know it it comes time to do that that's that's just something that everybody should agree on. But we can't even get that through the legislature, for goodness sakes, because there's some people who have this cockeyed idea that, oh, this might set us up for more election fraud. We, we have, we're divorced from reality when it comes to this stuff. And if I sound frustrated, it's because I am, because I, the, the, some of the ideas that are being thrown around are just flat out kooky people who are are wearing who are arguing them should be wearing tinfoil hats but they're getting a disproportionate amount of attention from the media and that's hurting conservative causes all over and if you don't like being called a kook because you're pushing one of these ideas i'm sorry thinking that we're going to decertify the election u.s marshals are going to toss joe biden out of office that's kooky back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, isn't the state motto, wait for this, forward? Yes, yes it is. And just like generals who always fight the last war oftentimes end up losing the next war, people who obsess on, on what happened a couple of years ago frequently end up losing those next elections. And, and this, given given everything that's going on to obsess with, okay, we, we want to decertify the election, to spend even 10 seconds of psychic energy on this is absolutely crazy. Jeff, you're 99% right. I just think you're wrong about the base. I think more people really believe this than you think. Jeff, I agree completely. At the same time, can we stop blaming Trump for everything that's wrong in the world and maybe a message to the media? Well, that that's that's true, too. I mean, this is you, you have to understand the political reality here. The, this is is not shaping up to be a good year for Democrats in the midterm elections. I think you can make a strong argument that the Biden presidency on many, many fronts has been a complete and total disaster. That's why this stuff is just such a distraction. Talk about crime. Talk about the economy. That's the issue that's out there. Jeff, I think there's a limited number of lunatics, but I think there's many supportive radio and TV voices, not you, who make great ratings by convincing lots of otherwise clear-thinking mainstream conservatives that this fringe is the majority Republican view. Well, okay, that might be, but... I've been doing this full or part time for 27 years, and it's not going to—it's just not going to be me. I, I refuse to go down some of these rabbit holes that are there, and I'll, I'll live with the consequences of that, one way or the other. As far as like these these cults of personality, interesting story about the flip side of this: MSNBC is in the tank now. They've actually been struggling a lot since Joe Biden took over because once Trump was gone, you, you lost a lot of that, that people who were just outraged about Trump. Well, okay, they tuned into MSNBC to see that outrage reflected back at them. Now that Trump's not around, you don't you can't get people as worked up. But the, the one personality at MSNBC who people followed was Rachel Maddow. And if you might know, she's she's been taking more time off. She's trying to pull back. And since she's pulled back the numbers are are just tanking 
terribly, and MSNBC is trying to is they're, actually they're learning the, the hard way about what happens when you you know get into a what I'm going to describe as that cult of personality, and you build the whole network around one person, and then that what one person then starts kind of pulling back. Numbers aren't pretty. Last week, the program shed a quarter of its audience among key demographic adults. Um, it hemorrhaged a staggering 47% of the total audience compared to the same week in 2021 when Maddow was in the anchor chair. Without Rachel Maddow, NBC's got, MSNBC has absolutely nothing, and she's pulling back, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. So there's cults of personality on both sides of, of the aisle. But for the Republicans, move on. Focus on the important things. That's what wins elections. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One more election-related topic, and then we're going to move on to student loans. We're going to be talking a little bit about... Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. That's all coming up on the program. But before we move away from elections, I, I want to just bootstrap on something that we I discussed briefly at the end of, of the last hour. There are some politicians, including the guy that's running against Robin Voss in the Republican primary down, down in, in Racine, who believe that we should do away with anything other than in-person Election Day voting. In other words... No absentee voting at all. And the exceptions he would carve out would be, except for people who are in uh, the elderly, which I assume means in nursing homes, or people in the military. But if you're not in a nursing home or you're not away in the military, you should not have the option of being able to vote either early or, or certainly absentee. Now, let me just kind of break down the numbers. And and as I said earlier, the first time I voted for president, I was away at college. I, I voted absentee. I, I wasn't going to be in town to vote. So I sent whatever. I, I mean, I don't even remember the process. It was so long ago. But I requested the absentee ballot. I showed my identification. They sent me my ballot where I was in college. I filled it out. I sent it back in. And I presume that, that it was counted. So it's not like voting absentee ha- is some like novel thing that we just suddenly came up with in 2016 or 2018 or 2020. It, it's, it's not like that at all. So it's been around forever. Now, what's happening is more and more people are using it. Here, here's the raw numbers. In Wisconsin in 2020, the presidential election, there were approximately 3.2 million votes cast, approximately. Of those 3.2 million votes that were cast, approximately 1.9 million were either votes that were cast in person on election day or like like myself and my wife have been voting lately they were in person votes but were cast in that two week period before the election the in in person absentee vote where we actually you know go over to city hall we fill out the stuff we vote early why do we do that well i, I like to do it because in what first of all with what I do for a living, a lot of times election days are really, really busy, and you're running around and you're doing all sorts of stuff to get ready for the broadcasts. And 
in the event that you're going to get caught in a line for 30 or 45 minutes or something, that that causes me a problem. So I, I go over, I vote early. And so I love early in-person voting, and I do that almost every time. Matter of fact, I don't remember the last time I, I actually voted on Election Day, but I, I vote in person. So 1.9 million votes either on Election Day or the early in-person voting. Okay, the other 1.3 million votes were absentee votes. So it's not quite 50-50, but it's a, it's a huge chunk. It's more than a third of the people who chose to vote in the electoral process, who, tried to, who chose to participate, more than a third, actually a little bit significantly more than a third, they chose to vote absentee. And that, that's Republicans and it's independents, and it's Democrats who did that. They voted absentee not because they wanted to commit fraud, but simply because they wanted to vote, and it was a convenience to do it. All right, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm all in favor of if there are concerns that there is widespread voter fraud and that there are people who are abusing this absentee ballot system and ordering ballots for people that aren't themselves or whatever. I'm all in favor of, of winnowing that out and prosecuting the bad actors that do it. But this notion that we should take away the opportunity to vote absentee, something that's been around for Decades and decades and decades. Now, admittedly, it's used more now, and admittedly, we've made it a little bit easier to do that. But this is the trend of the future. People like to be able to vote absentee. They like to be able to vote in by, by mail. They like to be able to drop the ballots off. 855-616-1620. All right, should we take that right away? Should we say to that 1.3 million people who voted absentee, for whatever reasons, that you are now no longer going to be able to do that. And the only way that you are going to be able to vote is to show up either on Election Day or maybe early in person. And, and it's, always, it's always unclear to me the people who are pushing to end the absentee voting, some of them are pushing to end early voting as well. But, all right, should we do away with absentee voting? And tell me why, if we should. 855-616-1620, why should we say to 1.3 million Wisconsinites who used this and used it properly for 99% of the cases that no, you shouldn't be able to have that convenience. 855-616-1620, I'm sorry, I just don't see it. First of all, I don't see it happening in the reality, real world. But secondly, I, if, if we want to encourage people to participate, why would we take this avenue away from them? 855-616-1620, should you only be able to vote in person? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Here's our first texter. Jeff, all voting should be done in person with proper ID, no exceptions. All voting should be done in person. So, I don't know if you're... I'll use my example. So, okay, when I'm away in college, I'm physically not in Wisconsin. 
but that's where my residence is. So I shouldn't be allowed to vote because I can't get to the polls. I can't drive six or 800 miles to show up and, and vote. Well, what, what purpose does that serve? I guess, why should all voting be done in person with private ID, with proper ID? That, that's what I wrestle with because, you know, try as we might, we haven't found widespread, and I mean widespread, examples of, of people that are abusing the absentee process. I'm not going to insult your intelligence and say that, that there's no chance of that happening or that you might not have isolated cases there, but why should we make it more difficult for people to vote? And this is Republicans and Democrats. What about... I, I don't know. You've got an April election coming up. Okay, so you've got a lot of people, for example, who are, are maybe they're Wisconsin residents, but maybe they're spending the winter in Florida or Arizona or something. Why why shouldn't they be able to participate in, in their local elections? I, I don't understand this idea. And, and the reality is, and again, a lot of this conversation today is about let, let's go back to the real world. The real world is we're not rolling that back. We're, we're not going back to 1942. That, that's just not going to happen in, in we're, 2022 and moving forward with all our technology and things it's all about making it easier for people to to do things and i i understand concerns about fraud i understand you know security things but i swear i don't understand at all why we would say you can only vote by having to show up in person either on election day or showing up in advance. I'd like to go, and I like the early in-person voting, because I still I, I, I get a kick out of the whole civic process of, of showing up at City Hall. But on the other hand, if I was out of town, if I was... I don't know, spending a few weeks in Florida over Election Day or something like that, why shouldn't I be able to vote? I mean, seriously, why shouldn't I be able to vote just because I'm going to be out of town on Election Day? 855-616-1620, Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I agree with you 100%. If I'm not mistaken, my freshman year of college, I voted absentee ballot as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had lived where I had lived pretty much my whole life. I'd certainly lived in the Chicago area and the city my whole life. So, yeah, I should have that right, even though I'm not there. Um, and I do like early voting, but I think it, I feel it's too long. I think it should only be a week before. Um, it is convenient because if you had everyone voting on election day, those lines would be so long, it'd be unbelievable. And it wouldn't be the wait. Whether I mean I know if you want to vote you're going to vote rather, yeah. but I'm sorry Mike your cell phone's cutting out thanks your cell phone's cutting look and, and see that's a different conversation and and now look I, if you if you want to tweak this if you want to say I I don't think we should have early voting for more than a week as opposed to two weeks or I, I'm I'm open to those discussions you know if we want to tweak stuff around the the edges and, and figure out what the appropriate time I'm I'm okay with that that's. That's fine. I'd have to think through how I, I feel on these different issues. But but this idea that you can only vote on Election Day unless you're in the military or unless you're, you're permanently confined in a nursing home or something, why? I, I mean, and, and plus, that's just not where we are in our society nowadays. You know, we, we file tax returns electronically. You know, we, we don't 
ballots have to send them through the mail if we don't want to. We and I'm I'm not advocating you know um you know voting by computers and stuff like that. I'm not, but I'm just saying we this is not the horse and buggy era anymore. We make it easier for people to do stuff. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Um, Jeff, it'll never make any sense because some Republicans want to be able to reject any future election they lose, um, so they can question the legitimacy of elections. Well, I I can't. I, I can't believe that. Jeff, I served 21 years in the Army, so you and I can vote. Except extreme circumstances, military, you should be in person with an ID. Fraud is too much risk. I didn't serve for fraud. Okay, well, well here, here's my response to that. You know, every investigation that, that we've had has not shown any appreciable fraud as a result of the absentee voting system. And I use the word appreciable. You know, you, you want to talk about fraud. Again, I've been, I'm kind of a student of history, and so I've always got three or four books going. And like I was saying earlier, lately my, my obsession has been like the France and Great Britain when, when Germany invaded, just because I think it's got some interesting parallels to what's going on now. But you want to talk about fraud, just got done with a book about Lyndon Johnson and, and how he won, you know, his, his first, he lost his first election and won his second one. You know, and those that was in-person voting, and I mean, I'm telling you, they cleared out graveyards. It was all in-person voting, and the the real the question was, you know, how did you know who was going to win? Well, it's who counted the votes. That you you want to talk about fraud? I mean, look at what would go on in Illinois with Mayor Daley. There's still I just got done reading a book about the 1960 presidential election, and there's some very very real questions about whether or not. You know, Richard Nixon actually lost the election to John Kennedy, but Nixon decided not to pursue it. But this idea that, oh, we're going to have in-person voting, that's going to eliminate fraud. You look at back at some of the elections that were legitimately stolen over the years, and, and it's it's in-person voting that, that they did that. So this idea that, oh, we're going to the in-person voting is going to stop it. I don't think so at all. Um, Jeff, um, it'll, okay. So they're talking about, Jeff, the absentee function should not only be kept, but it should be expanded. People should be allowed to vote online with proper credentials. I had to delay a trip so that I could get a ballot before I left. I'm not there yet. I, I mean, I'm not there with the computerized voting yet. But but maybe at some point in time in the future, it'll make sense. Cindy in Delafield. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Um, I've been an official for 31 years running elections and I do not see the fraud. We have controls in place, especially in Wisconsin. With You have to register. You have to be a registered voter. You have to have a photo ID on file. And you have to show who you are. And that's the only time you get a ballot. I can't dictate what happens once you get the ballot in your home, if maybe someone votes it for you at your residence. Right. But... That's going to happen here regardless. But why deny people that right to vote? I have many people that are disabled that cannot come into the polling place. They need an avenue by which they can vote. Yeah, and this this is it. And I guess the thing, and to your point, Cindy, too, I... I mean, I, I haven't seen any documented evidence of widespread voter fraud. Now, again, some people point to some of the events that happened in 2020 in the democracy in the park and whether the clerk's office in Madison should have been taking ballots or whatever. But that's a different question. That That's that's not fraud. That's not people voting for other people. That's not people getting ballots under dead people's names. That That's just a procedural sort of thing, and you can argue whether that's best practice. But why you would take absentee voting away from 
from people. In reality, Cindy, this is something that's popular. I mean, people love it, right? Exactly. I, at the presidential, we probably had 70% that voted absentee. And not really? one of those voters was disenfranchised. The only disadvantage I can say for voting absentee is if you mistake, make a mistake on your ballot and the election inspectors cannot determine what your voter intent was, they just simply override that race or that ballot with that race that was incorrect. You don't have the opportunities if you vote in person, you can rectify your ballot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, and I guess I, I just try to figure out, I, if, again, if people have a beef about, you know, they want to put in more secure systems or things like that, I, I'm open to at least having that discussion. But this idea that we're going to roll this back and not allow people to vote absentee, I, I just, that's not where the majority of the general public is, I, I don't think at least. No, and people complained about disenchantment. And canceling voters right. when you had to show voter ID, I think that's only helped secure our elections. Yes. And if we take this away from them and limit it like maybe that we did before, you had to be legitimately sick or out of the t- country or out of town, that's going to hurt a lot of people. Right. No, thanks for calling. I, I appreciate it. And I, I understand that there, there, there's this perception that's out there that, okay, well, like more, for example, more Democrats vote absentee than Republicans. So if you make it more difficult for them, that, that will, that'll increase the Republican turnout or whatever. I, look, th- that to me should not be what elections are about. Elections are about turning out your voters and convincing convincible voters that your ideas are are better so if the word is that more republicans are voting in person and more democrats are voting absentee my message to the democrats would be figure out how to get more voters of your voters to turn out in person my message to the republicans would be all right make sure you get absentee ballots in the hands of all your potential voters so you can turn out all the legitimate potential voters there are but this idea that we're going to do away with absentee balloting something that's been around forever it's not going to happen gotta move on back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner this is jeff wagner on wtmj chances are at some point in time in your adult life you've taken out a loan for something you know, for a lot of people, maybe it, it's a car. You can't afford to buy the car, so what you do is you finance the car, and you promise that I will make payments. I'm going to finance the car over three years, and I promise that I'll pay you know $500 a month every month over those three years, and in exchange, you, you get the car to, to drive. And the consequence of you not making your payments is, well, at first, they'll, they'll nicely ask you for the money, but if you don't make your payments beyond a certain period of time, what's going to happen? They're going to take the car back from you. That, that's just sort of the reality. For a lot of us, you know, perhaps your, your biggest sort of loan is in connection with your house. There, there's not too many people nowadays that walk in and just pay cash for their house, particularly people who are starting out. So what you do is you come up with, all right, I want to buy a house for $200,000, and I've got 20% down, so that's $40,000 that I've saved, and then I'm going to finance the rest, and I'm going to finance it over 15 or 20 or 30 years, and I'm going to pay make payments every month. That's the expectation. You know that going in. You get the schedule showing what your payments are going to be. And if you don't make your payments at some point in time, if you fall far enough behind, what's going to happen? 
you're going to get evicted and they're going to take the house back, right? That, that's the way loans work. You get the thing that you want, you get it on credit, and the expectation is that you are going to pay it back. And in this case, the way the bank, whoever's made that loan, the way they make their money is they charge you interest. Okay, so that, that's, that's how it works in this country. You take out loans, you promise to pay them back, which is one of the interesting things that is now happening with student loans. Now, here's, here's the numbers. I pulled the numbers in advance of this. Right now, it's estimated that about 43 million Americans have an outstanding federal student loan. The total amount borrowed as of, well, the fourth quarter of last year is about $1.6 trillion. So there's $1.6 trillion in outstanding student loans spread among, you know, $43.4 million. The average student loan outstanding balance is somewhere around 30,000 bucks. I thought I saw right. The average borrower owes $36,000, but but some owe a lot more and, and many owe a lot less. Starting at the pandemic, when the pandemic first kicked in in March of 2020, student loans and payments on the student loans got suspended. And that has been continued for well, 2 years now. You know, people who have outstanding student loans have not been required to make payments on those. That is scheduled to expire on May 1st, although there's all sorts of evidence out there suggesting that the Biden administration is slow walking this because before you can resume the student loan payments, you apparently have to send out six notices to people saying that those student loan payments are starting to resume, and at least as of a couple weeks ago, those letters hadn't started going out. So they're starting to slow walk it. But right now, there's some people on the left that are pushing Joe Biden to once again use his executive authority to say we're going to stall student loan payments until at least 2023, so giving people another you know, seven, eight months before they have to start making their payments again. And then you've got the more extreme pushes that are going on, the moves coming from, well, uh, inside the Biden administration saying you should forgive $10,000 in every student loan just off the top. And then some people like Elizabeth Warren who are saying, forget the 10000 we should exempt $50,000. We should just wipe away $50,000 of, of debt that's there. Um, if you chose to forgive all the student debt, like I say, it would be about $1.6 trillion. To forgive $10,000 per borrower, that would cost the federal government about 373 B as in billion dollars. All right, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm willing to discuss this, but I think this idea is a complete and total non-starter. If you want to provide some relief for people who have student loans, I would be completely and totally open to a re-examination of the interest rates that are out there because a lot of people are paying really, really high interest rates, way above market interest rates. And if we wanted to help people, I could see some sort of program where you lower the interest rates back to something that is closer to what you would pay, for example, if you, if you bought a car or, or you bought a house. I, I could see some adjustment of interest rate, but this idea 
that people who, in good faith, made a commitment to take out loans to go to school so they could go to school, and the government, that would be us, the taxpayers, gave them money, the idea that we should just suddenly forget about it, to me, it's just a complete and total non-starter. Would it be nice? Sure. I'd love, though, the government to forgive the mortgage on my house. Why should I make my house payments? You know, if, if we're going to think of think of all you could do if you didn't have to make those monthly mortgage payments. Think of all the money you could put into the economy. Think of the things you could spend if you didn't have to do that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And beyond that, if we do something like this and say to all the people who took out all these loans to go to school that now you don't have to pay them back, doesn't that make the rest of us chumps? Everybody who went to school and decided, okay, I'm going to take a student loan out and I'm going to pay it back. So either you paid off the loan or maybe you decided, hey, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to have a student loan out there, so I'm going to work a couple jobs. Or maybe I'm going to delay going to college for a year or two to, to build up enough money to, to put myself through school. Or maybe, you know, I'm not going to go to that as most, I'm not going to go to that school that costs $75,000 a year because I know I'm going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt when I come out of it, so I'm going to go to a different school. Does that make us all chumps? 855-616-1620. Biden is being pushed to either forgive all student loan, forgive student loan debt up to 50 grand, forgive it the first 10 grand. I think they're all non-starters. You made a commitment. You borrowed the money just like when you bought your house, just like when you got your car, just like when you took out that home equity loan or whatever. That's your obligation. Am I missing something? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All right. Student loans have been, payments and interest have been suspended since March of 2020. They're supposed to resume May 1st, but it appears that the Biden administration is slow walking that. The Biden administration is apparently looking at forgiving the first 10 grand of student loan debt. Elizabeth Warren wants to forgive $50,000 in student loan debt. It's just, to me, it's mind-boggling. I'm open to, say, re- Rejiggering the loans, for example, to, to make the interest rate perhaps closer to a, a market-based interest rate, I think that that would be a reasonable sort of thing. But the idea of forgiving principal on loans, why in the world would we do that? Jeff, all right, I paid my student loans back. I want all that money back from the federal government with interest. Um, Jeff, I guess I'm a chump who worked while going to a local school and lived at home graduating without debt. Yep, you, you would be right. You would be the chump. Here's an interesting text. Jeff, I was a former financial aid advisor at a major local downtown university. Loan forgiveness drives me crazy. Loan amounts should only be for educational costs, tuition and housing. Too many students take as much as they can for fun money. I did this as well, and my local watering holes were happy about it. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's the thing as well that's out there. This is, and, and look, I, I mean, I remember when I went to law school, I mean, I paid back my student loans. When I went to law school, I, I, I took out the student loans, and, you know, there was whatever the dollar amount was, there was always 
stuff that was left over. So you paid your tuition, you paid for your books, and then you had money to, I mean, live on. And was it a nice thing? Yeah, it, it was. But again, it's one of these deals where we inspire people to take as much as they possibly can without any regard for whether they can pay it back or not. And by the way, I, I there's a lot of blame to go around here. I, I lay a lot of blame at the hands of the universities and the colleges who have pretty much raised tuition without any sort of check at all because they know the kids are going to be able to take out loans without any sort of reality, an honest conversation. I, I get into this with with some of my friends who you know work at law schools and things. That the, the reality is that the loss, the market for lawyers is material different different than it was when I got out of law school a long time ago. And you have a lot of these kids right now, kids, young men, young women, who are coming out of law school and between their undergraduate debt, their law school debt, their hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and they're walking into this job market where. A handful of them, you know, might get these really good jobs and stuff, but the vast majority of them, they're, they're not going to be making enough money to make significant debts and these stents and these student loan things. And I do think, for example, in my case, the law school should be having a much more honest conversation with potential students about what the reality is. I mean, everybody thinks they're going to be number one in their class and go to work. You know, for a New York law firm for you know half a million dollars a year, well, those jobs are few and far between. 855-616-1620, but it doesn't change the underlying fact that you're the one that borrowed the money. Rich in Waukesha. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mr. Wagner. I completely agree with your statement. I can't express how people are neglecting, you know, credit card debt, loans, student loans. I understand there's a lot of problems. And what my suggestion is, is that maybe they can come to a compromise and say, hey, let's forgive the interest on these loans Mm -hmm. and restart the loan from the original amount that was borrowed and start the interest again from that point. And, and at a lower interest rate, perhaps, you know, a, closer to a market interest rate than well, some of the interest rates are charging now? Well, that would be, you know, even a better thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, just to forgive the interest that's already accrued on the loan mm-hmm. would be a godsend to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to Call Rich. I mean, I, I have to think through the. I, I, I have, I'm a numbers guy, and I'd have to see what the, the numbers look like. Again, I'm not. I am. I recognize that you, you know you have a quote unquote student loan crisis that's out there, and I recognize that you have lots and lots of Americans who are over their heads when it comes to the, these student loans, and so I, I'm open to what I think would be constructive ideas to make the loans more affordable as far as being able to pay them back and 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 maybe like an interest forgiveness thing or something like that i'd really have to i'd have to sit through and look at how much money it's going to cost but 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 the idea i guess of of just forgiveness here we're gonna we're gonna write off the first ten thousand dollars you owe 
what? We're going to write off $50,000 that you've borrowed. Why, why in the world would people do that? Hey, you know, want to come over and, and you know, write off the, what I, what I owe, you know, on, on my car? How about, how about that? Just let's, let's, let's forgive what I've got outstanding on my, my car payment. That would be really nice because if I didn't have to make that car payment every month, boy, I'd have a lot of extra money to spend. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I affirm your statements on student loans. My daughter needs to learn, as I did, to finish the commitment and the ethical value to pay off debt. Lesson to learn. If you don't like the debt, then work and save before making a loan commitment. No matter your age, young or old, our country is moving away from personal responsibility. Um, you know, Jeff, there are many kids who can't afford college who went the ROTC route to help pay for school. If debt is going to be forgiven, students should have to volunteer for government service to pay to pay for this. Um, yeah, I suggested this to a young woman with lots of debt. She said we're more than happy to volunteer. Well, um, you know, okay, Jeff, how about if we forgive student loans for small businesses or loans for truck drivers? Yeah, I mean, where where do you, you know, stop? Bob and Nina. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Bob. Good. Hi. Uh, I had four kids. Three of them took out loans to go to college. And one thing they all say is, and as they're growing up, we talk to them a lot about credit card debt, uh, mortgages, stuff like that. And they all say when they got in college how easy it is to add debt and how little the other people did not understand how this all worked. Mm -hmm. They had people, you know, like you talked earlier, they're using it for party money. They're using it to buy new clothes. Mm -hmm. They don't understand, you know, they got that there's a consequence to this. Uh, My one daughter... She ended up not wanting to take out a lot of debt. She didn't get her degree till she was 32, but she didn't have a huge amount of debt. My other daughter had $40,000 in debt. She paid that off in eight years because that was very important to her to be out of debt. But she yeah. also worked full-time while going to school full-time. Yeah. So it can be done, but uh, they say that, too. The high schools should be teaching this in, before yes. the kids even graduate. Teach them oh, about I- student loans. 401ks, you know, car loans, things like that, some financial well, credit responsibility. Cards. Yeah, no, no, thanks for the call, Bob. Credit cards, I mean, that's, that, that's, I mean, how many, how many kids go to college and stuff and they get the first credit card or people come out of college without understanding that they're charging you 18% interest and yeah it's really cool and you go out on a Friday night and you have this nice dinner and then you know if you're just making the the minimum payment on the credit card okay here's a note Jeff how much was school when you went it cost me $60,000 to get my four-year nursing degree if federal loans were unfrozen I would have to pay upward of $800 a month for those that's a second mortgage to get a degree that is required by my profession if I pay more money to the government on top of my mandatory expenses, I can't afford to stimulate the economy or for my retirement. Sorry, you're the one that made the decision to spend $60,000 to get your four-year nursing degree. And what that means is, all due respect, you're going to have to make sacrifices over the first X number of years to pay that debt back. 
and I think it is unreasonable and unfair to expect the taxpayers to pick up the tab for a decision that you made and a service that you, you rendered, that you received. Okay, so in the, the case of the texter, and she's got her nursing degree, or he's got his nursing degree, whatever. They've got the nursing degree, so now presumably they're earning more money than they would have if they hadn't have gone to school. Well, well okay, they got the benefit of the bargain, so why should everybody else, the taxpayers, decide that we're all of a sudden you don't have to pay that that back and, and yeah i understand that you could stimulate the economy and you could spend it and you could buy some more stuff that you you want to buy that would maybe make your life a little bit better or more enjoyable if you had that extra dough to spend it but that means somebody else is picking up the tab for that and that in my mind is fundamentally unfair like i say i think this is a complete and total or should be a non-starter if you want to talk about interest rates i'm cool with that i think that that's fair and that could provide some degree of relief, but just writing off 50 grand of debt, writing off 10 grand of debt, I don't think so. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Yes, Marquette plays this afternoon back in the NCAA tournament. Going to be a tough game. They kind of, they just, as in previous years, my Marquette teams kind of struggle towards the end of the season. But that's that's the thing about the NCAA tournament. You never know exactly what could happen. And they're playing North Carolina. It's an eight seed against the nine seed. And I guess you shouldn't be surprised if anything. And wouldn't it be great if Marquette, a team that nobody expected very much from, uh, could at least win a game in the NCAA tournament? That would be a great start. And, of course, tomorrow you've got Wisconsin playing. And Wisconsin, uh, I, I think the Badgers are I think they're geared up for a, potentially a long run in the NCAA tournament. Wouldn't that be great? And as we've been talking about in various forums on this station all day and for the last couple of days, baseball is in fact back. First pitch tomorrow, the ex, and it's an abbreviated exhibition schedule, but first pitch tomorrow is at, at 3 o'clock. And, of course, all that leads up to you know the start of the season, pushed back a week, but I believe April 7th is when the Brewers open the season on the road, and then April 14th, which is a Thursday, against the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. It's going to be the slightly delayed home opener, and the I think tip-off, tip-off, sorry, thinking baseball. First pitch is scheduled for like 4-14, but if you have not tuned into our opening day coverage here on WTMJ over the course of the last well, several decades. Where, where have you been? Because um, we do opening day very, very well. It's one of the days I always look forward to, and I, I haven't seen the, the show plan yet for this year's, but typically what happens is we get the opportunity, and by we I mean I include myself in it, to get out there, and we, we put aside a lot of the discussions of the events of the day, and we, we talk about baseball because opening day is special around here, and we get a chance to interview, and historically we've had players on. It's been a regular ritual on, on my program on opening day that we're, we're typically able to get Bob Euchre and Mark Atanasio and a number of the other officials with the Brewers and a lot of players and it's always, like I say, it's one of the days that I look forward to each year just as a day to again stop talking about some of the things that we discussed, the current events, and just talk about some fun stuff and from my perspective I, I get to geek out as a fan because I, I, I don't 
claim to be the the heavy duty sports guy that knows you know how you throw the you know the the fastball and how you hold it and what the difference is between this change up and that i don't i don't know that i'm just the guy that buys the tickets and goes and watches the games and enjoys it and that's why i love to have the opportunity from that perspective to talk to the players and the owner and the other broadcasters and things like that so i'm very much looking forward to our coverage we always do opening day. I think we do it right, and I suspect that's going to be the same this year. All right. In the last segment of the program, we talked about th- this proposal that's out there to forgive like $1.6 trillion in student loans, some- something like that. And th- that's a non-starter. I want to now talk about something that the opinions might be more split on and might be more controversial, which is free student breakfasts and student lunches for everybody now first of all let us understand there is no such thing as a free lunch that's true there's not and there's no such thing as a free breakfast the programs that the federal government has to provide food for kids breakfasts or lunch those aren't free they might be free to the people who are getting the breakfast or the lunch, but they're not free. The, the taxpayers are paying for them. Matter of fact, uh, 2019, before the before the start of the pandemic, I, I think it, it's several billion dollars. It's like four billion dollars. That is what the the program cost. And my guess is that that cost has gone up since then. All right. What happened was in the middle of the pandemic, the decision was made for the federal government to, but before the pandemic, what would happen is at many, many schools, there would be a a multi-tiered program. If you were what was called economically disadvantaged, you know, based on household income, depending on, on where you fit on the scale, you either qualified for a free student lunch, and if they offered it, also a breakfast. If you weren't as economically disadvantaged, you could qualify for a reduced price lunch or breakfast. And then if your parents had the wherewithal and you weren't economically disadvantaged at all, you, you had to pay. That That's the way it worked. Well, what happened is once the pandemic started, the idea was, well, we want to make sure that, that everybody, all these kids get, get food. So what happened was they pretty much blew out all those categories. So at most school systems in Wisconsin, at least right now, it, it's lunches are free to everybody. It, it, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if mom and dad are doctors pulling in half a million dollars a year, or if it's somebody that's living on food stamps. We're, we're giving them free lunches. The same thing is true for for breakfasts as well. As a general rule, the breakfast program is free to everybody, regardless of whether or not you need money. Now, the free breakfast is something else that we need to note here. Is the taxpayers pay for them through money to the federal government. In addition, it is possible that the schools end up having to pay as well. Well, Jeff, they're free. How could that be? Well, what happens is the federal government reimburses schools based on the number of meals that are served. That The schools have to provide the staffing and the facilities and things like that. So if they don't serve enough breakfasts, 
bringing in enough income to cover the cost of the food and all the, the personnel and stuff, it could end up costing the local school districts some money. But anyways, this, this program, and there's been controversy in Waukesha about whether they, they should provide free breakfast to everyone and things like that. But the, the free-for-all program is due to expire in June. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us be clear here. I don't think anybody would argue that for the economically disadvantaged students that are out there, the kids that are coming from the the poorer backgrounds, that providing the free lunches or the discounted lunches or breakfasts, if they do it, is an appropriate thing. My question is, how far do we go? Is it the responsibility of the taxpayers to pick up the tab, paying for breakfast and lunches, for students who do not otherwise qualify. Uh, again, if you're in a school district where 70%, for example, of, of the students come from families that don't qualify, should the rest of the taxpayers be picking up the tab to pay for that 70% of those kids' lunches or breakfast? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that the, the argument here is, well, kids need to kids can't be hungry. They, they need to eat to learn. Don't argue with that. I don't disagree with that. But at what point is it the responsibility of the parents to make sure that their kids get breakfast and, and get lunch? And if the parents have the wherewithal to do that, why should, I don't know, the, the retiree on a fixed income who's paying taxes, why should that person be picking up the tab for the free lunch or breakfast for the child who otherwise could afford it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, from my perspective, I, 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 nobody, I think, would argue that the aspect of the program where the food goes to the economically disadvantaged kids, either in the form of free lunches or breakfasts or free or discounted lunches or breakfasts, that, that's a worthwhile program. Nobody's talking about that. But what about the other kids? Should they get free food courtesy of the taxpayers? And I put free in quotation marks. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, man, I relate to everything when I, when I was growing up. I grew up in a middle class family, and um, my mom made bag lunches every day when I was a kid. And then when I got old enough to do it, I, I made bag lunches, and I, I took the, those lunches to school. And it, it was my parents could afford to provide me with, with the food. I don't think they would have anticipated that other people have to provide me with free breakfast or lunches. They, they took that as their responsibility. And again, I, I wasn't a millionaire's kid or, or anything like that. Nobody is arguing that the economically disadvantaged among us and I, I appreciate that it's important not to go hungry. So nobody is arguing that the economically disadvantaged shouldn't get the free lunches or shouldn't get the discounted price lunches. But for the people who can afford it, 
why should the rest of the taxpayers be picking up the tab? Is it too much to expect mom to get up a little early or dad to get up a little early or the kid to get up a little early and, and make the, the turkey and cheese sandwich? That's what I had for lunch today. And, and throw the apple in. Is that too much to expect if the family can afford to do it? And my answer would be no. Jeff, I am beyond sick and tired of paying to feed, clothe, and house other people and their kids. We need to stop enabling people's poor lives life choices. It is ridiculous to ask a poorer person to pay to feed a rich person's kids to eat. People like to call me selfish. How selfish do you have to be to have kids with the expectation that others will feed them? Well, right, again, and I, I, I guess that's to me, that's where that's what the ultimate question is. Now here, Jeff, it's money well spent, at least for the kids. We pick up the tab and so many adults that leech off the system for food stamps that don't have kids um, 855-616-1620 which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line jeff when did government giveaways bankrupt america as you've always said responsibilities isn't modern day jeff i think it's time to end the free-for-all program the benefit should be offered only to those that need it there's a lot more behind the scenes going on because you know including we serve whatever we can get um 855-616-1620 luther and ripon luther you're on wtmj hello Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I, too, took uh, cold lunch every day all through school, so I, I come from that direction. But as I was thinking about this, it's really almost a bigger uh, scenario than we're talking about because, first of all, if we do this, and I, 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 don't, I guess I can't, don't really care if we do it or not because at the end of the day, my taxes aren't going up. But what's happening is my tax money is going to foreign countries to feed other people and do other stuff in other countries. Why not keep our money in the United States and feed all the kids? Sure, some need it, some don't. Um, but at the end of the day, let's just keep that money at home and spend it. Because if we don't, if we don't spend it on this, our taxes aren't going to go down. They're going to stay the same, and we will take that money and, and send it out of the country. Well, Luther, I think thanks for calling. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go down the America First route and stuff like that. And I'm not sure I, I agree with your your premise that the choice would be if you take the money, you spend it on on something. Presumably, let's say it even stays in the school system, you you spend the money on on something else that might off off number one, arguably more be ne- more necessary, but number two, more appropriate because it, it comes back to that that fundamental question of whose responsibility is it and if you can afford and that's the if if you can afford to i don't know provide lunch and breakfast for your children why should other people pick up the tab for that i mean i, I guess i guess the um, okay here, here's my question what, what about saturdays and sundays and again we're not talking about the economically disadvantaged people we're talking about the people who can afford to pay for the, the, the lunches or make the lunches and send them to the kids. Do we say, hey, on, on Saturday and Sunday, if you can decide you want to, before church or after church, you want to go out to the restaurant and you want to have breakfast, do we expect the taxpayers to pick up the tab when you decide to take your kids out to, to the Denny's or whatever? Well, I mean, I guess the argument would be, why not? Now here, I, I, I appreciate the perspective of this. One of our texters says, Jeff, I agree with you in principle. But as a parent, it's sure convenient to send my kids to school without worrying about it every morning. And, and I, I respect that. 
I, I mean, I respect that. It's it's more convenient. It's it's easier. I, I get it. The idea that I don't want to have to worry about it. If I, yeah, I, I can afford. I can afford to take the apple and the turkey and the cheese sandwich or the peanut butter and jelly or whatever. I, I can afford to provide my kid with with the lunch. Um, I can afford to give my kid breakfast, you know, the, the cereal or, or whatever. Or, uh, but it, it's it's more convenient if I don't have to get up earlier in the morning. I don't if I don't have to get up 20 minutes earlier and get the kids rousted and, and make bacon and eggs for them. Um, it's it's easier for me if I don't or my husband or the kids if we don't have to spend 15 minutes the night before or the morning of, you know, putting the bag lunches together. That's more convenient. It's a lot easier for me to do that. I respect that. I, I understand it. But again, I, I go back. Back to the fundamental question of why should other people pay for that? I mean, it, it, at the same time, I, I understand that there are, as part of living in in a society, we we have a responsibility to others, and, and we pay taxes for things that we we don't use. I, I I never had children, but I mean, I I paid property taxes to support the the school system. You know, all all my adult life, and that's fine. I, I understand that there's values to that, but does that mean it, it's unlimited? And while I respect and appreciate that it's convenient, and hey, I don't have to worry about you know what what I don't have to worry about giving the kid a couple dollars to go get his lunch, his hot lunch, or. I don't have to worry about getting up 15 minutes earlier and making breakfast for my family. Or I don't have to worry about going to the grocery store and making sure we got fresh bread and cold cuts and stuff or whatever I'm going to put in, in the lunch bag. I understand it's a lot more convenient to not have to worry about it. And, and that's fine. I get it. But at that point in time, how do, is, is that really the responsibility of society to take care of those people's children where they could always take care of them. Jeff, I don't have children because I couldn't afford them. Why am I paying to feed other people's children? It's complete BS. Well, especially the other people's children and those other people who can afford to to feed their own, um, you know, children. Jeff, I um, I. Uh, so let's see, um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, the more we pay to, fake, pay, pay to feed kids, regardless of their economic status, the more parents make irresponsible decisions when it comes to their money spending. Well, I, I think that there's kind of an element for that. Jeff, I paid for you and your wife's stimulus checks. I didn't get any. Okay, to that texter, my response would be, you're talking to the wrong person because I didn't get any stimulus checks either. But you know what? I didn't complain complain about it because I understood where it's coming from. Back with more in just a minute. I paid for you and your wife's stimulus checks. No, you didn't. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.